We've got a bit of a, um, a pick and mix Sunday for you today. Um, now, I remember pick and mix from Woolworths. It meant that you could go and you could choose different things. You guys can't choose different things. I've chosen different things, and I've mixed them all for you. So it's kind of like a pre-prepared pick and mix, kind of like a Haribo thing. I guess they do those today, their own pick and mix. I should think Haribo have got a packet of sweets called pick and mix. So it's kind of like that. It's already done. It's prepared for you. But we're going to hear from some different people today, um, sharing different things that God's been um, stirring with them, elaborating to them, um, exciting them about. I think it's a really good opportunity for us to hear what's going on. And sometimes we hear from the same people on a Sunday morning. It's good to hear the breadth of what's going on. A while ago, we spoke quite a lot about God bringing us into a broad place, and we're all quite vague about what that means. Um, and still kind of, I suppose, whenever we come back to it, we're open for further interpretation. But I think one of the elements of that is different people expressing themselves and, and what God's given them in different ways. So we will hear a little bit of that today as well. Um, Phil, do you want to kick off with Simon? Well, good morning, everybody. This is Simon, as you know. Um, <laughs> Simon's fan club is over there. They meet every Wednesday and see Andy Garland for the sign-up sheet. Right. Um, Simon emailed John a little while ago with some thoughts and stirrings around prayer. And um, I, I, I read the, the email as well because it's something that I've been kind of thinking about recently as well. Um, particularly for me, I, when I was probably thinking about seven, eight years ago, even beyond that, I used to really pray regularly for, for friends of mine, um, not because I felt I had to or that was you know, some kind of religious duty I had to perform, but because these people were really, really on my heart and I used to pray for them constantly and, and I saw quite, quite major things happening with them. And I've, I've not done that for a while and I started to sort of begin to question, you know, God, why isn't that the case? You know, what, is there some kind of new area of compassion in my heart that I need to, to get in order to sort of be released back into that kind of prayerful response for, for my, um, my friends? And so when I read what Simon wrote, I thought it was, it was quite a provocation for me personally, and I thought it would be really good to, to hear as well. So I've, I've made some notes because I've, I've been quite good today. This isn't off the cuff. Not that it normally is. Um, Simon, you've, you've always been someone who's really faithfully and quite fervently engaged in prayer. Has that always been the case, or how, how did that start for you? I think it was soon after I became a Christian, about two or three years afterwards, that I met this guy um, who was really engaged in prayer. And he was one of the most friendly, uh, hospitable, interesting people to hang around with. And I think part of the reason for that was, was that he really did pray regularly. And uh, sometimes that would enable him to sort of get up really early in the morning and to spend time with God. But it wasn't that it was, yes, that he spent time with God. But it was the fact that he was just such a lively and engaging, but very, he was quite a deep person as well. So he came up with these really rare insights from time to time about who God was and what he was like. So that had a, a massive impact on you and sort of began to stir you, didn't it, and to, to kind of want to grab some of that. And it's something I've often shared with people. 
isn't it interesting about the impact we can have on those around us? And that interaction that Simon had with this person just brought a new dimension to Simon's life. And you know, if you think about perhaps three kind of messages that you've heard either preached on a Sunday or shared over the last 10 years that have really shaped your life, it's actually quite hard to pinpoint that. But if you think about perhaps three people who have had a big impact on your life, I always find that a, a much easier thing to do. So just want, that's just something to drop in there. What, what impact are we having on people around us? And are we getting them the best of the impact from, from those around us? Now, you've always believed prayer is vital in changing situations, and you've, you've seen this quite dramatically in the workplace. Um, so some time ago, you started working for a local school. Tell us about that situation, the context, and, and what began there. Yeah, when, when I came to this area, um, it was uh, a job that I applied for at Little Ilford School in Manor Park in Newham. And I'd actually never worked with young people before, so it was a completely new time, a new experience for me. And actually, I found that very difficult um, because some of them really gave me a hard time and I just couldn't really see a way out. And also, secondly, the fact was, was that um, the school was going through um, a testing time in the sense that it had just come out of special measures <laughs> and um, it, it really did need a breakthrough. And at the, um, I think it was the very end of my first year um, at Little Ilford School, we had an inspection and um, it was, there was a marked improvement. So we've always believed that prayer and engaging in, in prayer isn't just something for things that we do in church. We don't believe that we just pray for the Bible study. We, we believe that we engage in real life, in real communities, in our workplaces. So tell us, what did you do and, and what changes have you seen, both kind of personally and on the wider scale? Okay. Um, first of all, I really realized that this was a matter for prayer. And I just needed to do that on a regular basis. So I set myself the task of doing that. But I wanted to actually see um, real breakthroughs in terms of what was happening in the school. And uh, the first breakthrough that came along was, was that the, the staff became a lot more cheerful in the way that they were doing the job. And um, secondly, uh, we prayed. I actually liaised with quite, um, there was, a cup, was one person in particular at a place called the Manor Park Christian Centre. We used to regularly get together and pray for the school. And um, I found that there were particular kids that I really, really gelled with. And there was one girl who had um, quite severe behavioural problems um, when she arrived in the school in year seven. But afterwards you could see that she was really beginning to change and she's now in year 11 and she's one of the most um, engaging polite but um, fun students to be around with as well um, I also went through a time when uh, I was dealing with a boy a few years ago who just came in year seven who um, you know, he just kept on asking me questions after questions after question. And it was really, really hard because um, I used the tactic of 
um, trying to engage with him, and, and that worked up to a point. But then I used the tactic of trying to be really, really firm with him as well, and, and somehow that didn't work. And I felt that what God has given me now is almost like a combination of the two so that I try and keep him guessing. And it, and it really has worked because, as we know, um, God is a very creative God and he can do things that we can't do and certainly I couldn't do. It's a bit of a no-brainer, this, but how, how many of us face really challenging situations in the workplace and in day-to-day life? And you kind of... You, how many of you are silly enough like me to go through long periods of kind of battling away on your own um, and then you realize there's a God who's in charge of the whole universe who you can ask for help from? Is, is anyone else dopey like me? Because I'm just looking for a bit of reassure, reassurance. From <laughs> and what, what I found great about Simon's response is that there was that just okay, this is a, a challenge, this is real for me, both personally, there's wider issues going on, the school's not doing great, and the response was to engage persistently in prayer and to ask a God who says he will help us in that. And, you know, there were several stories um, around that, and also in terms of the wider sort of school leadership and things like that that, that have happened. Um, well, I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that... Um, in about, I think it's the last year, we've had um, two outstanding um, Ofsted inspections. And uh, this, this has been really, really good. Um, and I think a lot of the credit goes to um, the head teacher who came in, I think it was about nine years ago. Um, the previous head had done some really good work as well, but it just needed that fresh impetus that that God did alone, that, that made all the difference. Simon, you've also felt stirred for, for some time around praying for Barking and Dagenham, and this is quite a challenging time generally for councils, because as we know, funding's being slashed all over the place um, in terms of delivering really important services to people. And we, we believe that we should be having an impact in Barking and, and Dagenham as well. T- tell us some more about that stirring and, and what that means to you. Yeah, um, <clears throat> one of the one of the uh, the scriptures that I've really been thinking about recently is in um, Luke eighteen um, about the parable of the unjust judge, and it's the story of of this uh, this widow who is seeking justice um, against her adversary. The point is, is that the judge is a really harsh and tough man and will not give her justice at all to begin with. But the fact is, is that she persistently prays over a period of time and then he, out of a sort of reluctant frustration, says, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to give this widow what she wants. And he finally does that. And... Um, Later on in the story, uh, we get a comparison with God because um, this woman got justice from a man who, just out of her persistence, um, the judge gave her what she had wanted. But the difference is, is that when we come to God, who is our Father, who, yes, is just, but is also loving and merciful, how much more will God give 
us what we want and need. And this is particularly um, relevant um, at the moment for Barking and Dagenham because there are people in that borough that really are suffering and um, have had injustices done to them. And I felt, I'm feeling, I'll, I'll use the word steadily because I think there's a lot more to come. Um, believing that there are people that need real justice in that, in the borough in which we serve, by which only God himself, because he is their loving heavenly father, he is merciful towards them, that only he, through the prayers that I and, and you put up, that will make all the difference for them and bring justice into that area. Yeah. The sense I really got from hearing Simon speak was, was this stirring of faith that Simon knows there's a God in heaven who is more just than that judge, who he's got a direct line to. And I found that really encouraging. And I just want to encourage us all just to reflect on that. I mean, we've heard lots of good different things here. We've heard about the impact that we can have on others. You know, this man that sort of stirred something in Simon long ago. And if you think about, you know, Simon over a long period of time has just engaged in, in really kind of fervent prayer for things. He's seen things happen. And it's quite exciting now as we, th we think about what could happen in Barkin and Dagenham despite the difficult circumstances. There is a God in heaven who can hear. So... We just wanted to kind of let that settle, didn't we, and, uh, and, and challenge and encourage you. Thank you. And if Catherine wants to come join me, I'm going to sit on this stool. Uh -huh. That's a little bit radical. Oh, no, you're coming up that way. I'll cast that. That was why I was going to sit on that stool. Um, no, so I was just trying to work out the most convenient way. Right. Um, Catherine. Catherine's going to tell us about, well, I'll let her tell you, won't I? I'll ask a couple of questions. What happened when you were 16? So I was in a RS lesson, and I was just reading um, something about ethics, I think. And it was about women and prostitutes. And from that moment, I felt so convicted and so stirred that that was outrageous, that someone should be treated like that. And sort of since then, God's just given me a real heart for women, um, mainly vulnerable women trapped in uh, prostitution. And so through university, it sort of carried on. and. It's something that's really stayed with me and stuck with me. Okay, so you've been involved in a number of different initiatives. Um, you went to India. Was, was that last year? So I've been to India twice. Right. Um, so I went when I graduated from uni and this summer just gone. Um, and we were working with a charity called Oasis. Um, and that uh, we're basically going into safe houses where women who have been trafficked um, were now liberated. And so they were safe there and they were learning English and life skills, and so we helped to deliver some life skills lessons there. Um, and we also went into the brothels in Mumbai, and so we were talking to the pimps, to the madams, uh, to all the girls who really wanted to have prayer, and you know, they just loved the fact that people bothered to come into this really horrific, grotty shack and come and see them and talk to them, basically. It's amazing, I let you into the, the uh, brothel, isn't it? Wow. And then, but it's not just stuff in India. You've been doing some stuff in Tower Hamlets as well with a charity called Door of Hope. Yeah, so they're, um, they've been going for about 10 years um, and they work with uh, on-street prostitutes. So in terms of the hierarchy of prostitution, they're the lowest of the low um, and normally they're quite heavy drug users and, you know, often there's a lot of personal issues which mean that they've probably had to let go of their children and things like that. So uh, what I do roughly every month or twice a month 
me and another volunteer from the charity, we go and we do outreach in the area. So we give out um, protection, but we also give out chocolate and hot chocolate and just chat with the girls and see how their night's going. Um, just to sort of be that first step of relationship. And this charity is all about relationship, which is why it works so well. And so uh, in the day, what they do is they take them, they help them go to court if they need to, they help them with housing, uh, with their drug problems. And if, um, and if they want to exit, obviously Door of Hope is there to help them with that as well. And unfortunately that doesn't happen that often because it's such a difficult situation. But when it does happen, we're obviously there to help them. And I suppose there's quite a lot of work you do when someone wants to leave that profession. Trade. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot of backsliding as well, but right. and it's about the, the drug use and stuff. But when they do, it's incredible. And just through seeing these women, there's one lady who she's just come off drugs and she's now, we're helping her to write a CV and take her to the job centre and things. And just seeing it, you just think, it, c it can only happen with the power of Jesus. They're, they're bound by so much. Mm you almost think there's nothing for them apart from God. That, that's the only thing that could save yeah. it. That's awesome. And so what are the kind of, obviously you've got that example, but what other things you've seen that kind of been most exciting in terms of seeing God do kind of miracles with those ladies? I didn't ask you that one on the phone, no, did I? I have to think. Um, I think for me personally, um, there were some women in India that I met with, and when... I think, I think for me, when I do Door of Hope work, the conversations are quite limited um, because obviously you've only got a certain amount of time. Normally they're out of their head anyway and you know, you're, you're trying to have a conversation and you don't know what impact you're going to have. Whereas when I was in India, it was just amazing to see that the work that the charity does there, they're, they're liberated and not only that, they, they meet with God and you can pray with them, you can chat with them. So there was um, one girl when I went back this year deeper uh, I talked to her, and she's been through the whole program. So she was trafficked in Mumbai. She got sent to the safe house, and now she's working at a brilliant hairdressing company. She's really successful, and she loves God, and it was just great to be able to see her and see that whole process That's through good. the two years that I've been there. That's good. Have you seen many people in the UK that are kind of trafficked in? Um, yeah, so it, trafficking... Uh, it's, it's a global thing, but the, it definitely happens within the UK. Um, so when I worked at Stop the Traffic, there was a, a link with a girl who'd been trafficked out to Italy. Uh, she was from England. She was trafficked out to Italy. And then Stop the Traffic helped to rescue her. So even though I didn't know her personally, there was mm. a lot of mm. connection with her stories. So whenever I went and did awareness-raising talks in schools, um, we would use her story because it's so... It's so outrageous to think that mm. someone's been trafficked yeah. in the UK, but yeah. it happens quite a lot. And the most recent story that broke about trafficking was actually a raid that happened in Ilford. Mm. And if you think it's happening in Ilford, I can almost yeah. guarantee it's happening in Dagenham. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, close to home. What, what's the next thing you're looking for God to do in this area? What's your kind of faith level? I think, I think I'm really excited. I think that Lifeline as a community has got so much, so much of a stronghold here that I feel that there's, always, there's already the spiritual foundations that's been laid to really do something exciting. I think that um, in Dagenham and Ilford particularly, there's a real stronghold of trafficking. And I just think that particularly with links like with Open Doors, um, I know Sally's had conversations mm. with me about trafficking. And so I think with that there already, there's a real, I don't know what it would look like, but I think it would look like us, us having traffic victims here integrating them back into society mm. and then being happy and fulfilled that mm. it's not something that they're constantly looking back to. Mm. 
Good answer. Good. Thank you very much. If you want to, um, I'm sure Catherine's got more stories, so do kind of nab her, invite her and Dom to dinner. It's a way for them to get free dinner and you to get some interesting stories. Um, Phil, Claire. It's interesting what Leonie was saying about God's heart for children, what God's given us, because that's going to feed on nicely to what Claire's going to say. Keeping it in the family <laughs> this time. This is about the only time we speak, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> try, try and avoid it where possible. Right, um, this, this is all really a, about um, God speaking to children, which is something that's been stirring with Claire. So do you want to start off by telling us about particularly what was going on with our eldest, Malachi? Um, so Malachi's our six-year-old son, and not that long ago, he really wasn't very engaged in um, coming to church and in the worship and when I'd ask him if he wanted to pray and things at home and he was really just like, no, no, not interested and really against like trying it out at all. Yeah, well, it was, from my point of view, it wasn't even like a neutral kind of response to it. it. It probably looked even more like a negative, I don't want anything to do with it. And um, he would be quite stroppy about it as well, wouldn't he, at times? T tell us what happened with kind of what Debbie brought to us with that book. So there's this book which I'm sure lots of you have heard about. Um, I think it's called Parenting Children for a Life of Faith. Something. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> so I had this book and I was reading it and it had some really interesting ideas. It was very helpful practically and it was very helpful in terms of how children might think and what parents might think um, and kind of identified um, and challenged ways that parents might think as well. So I'd read this book and I thought, oh, I'll try some of these things with Malachi. Um, one of the things they suggested was get, like, giving your child some suggestions of things to speak to God about. So, oh, why don't you tell God the favorite th your favorite thing that you did today or tell God who your favorite superhero is because God's interested in all of you and he just wants to get to know you. Um, so we try... They also said try doing it, and if they don't want to kind of say it out loud, then let them just speak into their pillow so you can't hear them. Because one of the things is that children might think that they can get it wrong when they pray. They might think you have to say something in a certain way, or I don't know, there's a formula or something. But um, So we did this, and he was really happy to do that. He was, I, think, I think there was that whole being scared of doing it wrong thing. So I think that was quite releasing for him to be able to just hide his head and and speak to God, and he, he enjoyed doing that. And then um, I read a bit further, and it talked about catching God, so not just in terms of hearing a voice, um, but all the different ways that you can catch hold of what God might be saying to you or what God want, might want for you. Um, so they give some suggestions about how to do this as well. Um, so one night... Um, I was giving him his cuddle and we were just, I said, oh, should we see if God's got anything for you? Because I'd gone through with him the different ways that God might speak to him, whether it's through feeling something or seeing a picture or, um, I don't know, dreams. It might be a voice, all sorts of different ways. And so we were lying there and he was like, yeah, okay. So I just prayed a sentence and then we lay there and after a little while I said, how was it? <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, I didn't really get anything, but I feel really peaceful. 
So that was, I was like, oh, yeah, that's really good. God can help you to feel peaceful. So I kind of left it there. And then, should I keep going? And then, <laughs> and then um, there was another, and like a few weeks later, and I thought, well, really, we're not asking God anything. We're just kind of waiting on him, which is good. But I thought, well, perhaps we should ask a question. So I spoke with him, and we decided we'd ask God um, who God wanted him to be. So we prayed that, and then we just wait. We just wait for like 30 seconds, not long, just a quick kind of see what God does, because <laughs> I'm a bit scared, otherwise he might fall asleep. <laughs> so I said to him, oh, how was that? And he was like, yeah, didn't really get anything. So I was like, okay, well, we'll, we'll wait and see. And then I think it was a couple of days later, and we were in the car, and we weren't really talking about anything in particular, and he he said, I think he said it to one of his brothers. He said, oh, you know, we should be generous because Jesus was generous to us. And I, w- I just thought, you know what? I think that's from God. I think he hadn't recognized that this is something God said. But I thought, you know, I think that's a thought that God's dropped into his head. So I said to him, oh, do you remember, Malachi, what we prayed the other night? And he said, yeah, about who, who I should be. And I said, well, maybe you, that thought, God dropped that thought into your head and He's telling you that you should be someone who's a generous person. And it was almost like a light switched on in his head, in his face. And he was like, yeah. Like, he really acknowledged it and recognized it. And it was, it was really exciting for me. And he was obviously excited by it. And then later, that day or the next, it was a bike ride. Yeah, we were on a bike ride. Um, or really, you know what happened. <laughs> but um, he identified with Phil three other things that he really felt that God wanted him to be. Um, and it was quite releasing for him, I think, because it wasn't like... I think he kind of felt like he could fail in speaking to God and being in a relationship with God and hearing God, and it was just like, you know, it's not in a massive thing that happens. It's just like in... It can be in the little thoughts that God drops in your head, and I think it's helping our children to identify those things, which is... which can really help them. What were the four things? What, what, what was quite interesting for me was that was kind of like the short version. There was lots of kind of questions that Malachi had in between as well, where he was saying, I, how do you hear God? Like, but, but how do you hear his voice? Because like, I don't hear anything. And, you know, he, he, but even that was an engagement around, the, you know, trying to hear God rather than this complete negative kind of reaction to anything kind of to do with God and... And that was quite good. And it was on this, this bike ride. He came bombing down this hill, and then he just pulled up next to me and went, Daddy, I think God wants me to be a determined, encouraging, and generous boy. Um, and there was one other thing that I'm confident. That's it. I think God's telling me I need to be a confident, encouraging, generous, and determined boy. And I kind of I was like, okay. Well done, son. Um, but that was just, a, it was amazing for me because I thought that gives us something really then to explore with him in terms of our conversations and it gives us a way of like seeking God more around what that means for him. So it, it was really exciting. And you've been at a particularly um, sort of rebellious period of, of 
your your life really where you've been wanting to have more children despite you know quite a clear agreement between us that um, that three is plenty um, I thought I'd just you know get in there while I've got the microphone I'm going to hold on to it because did you see how long she very often. Um, so the, I guess there was a desire in you to expand family still and um, that you know the idea of having more children was was one thing but you've also been thinking about perhaps how we can expand family in different ways and, and sharing what God's given us in our family. So tell us about that and the impact that's having in uh, children's work. Yes um, so I've started working a bit more with the Invaders group in the midweek, Invaders, um, which has been really exciting for me because God's really just given me a heart for those, that group of children. Um, they're very exciting groups to be working with. And after what had happened with Malachi, I just thought, yeah, let's, let's see what God's got to say to these children as well. So I, I basically did the same thing with them um, where we talked about the different ways that we can get hold of what God's saying to us. And um, then we prayed and then we waited. And I mean, <laughs> I don't have a lot of faith really because I, I remember doing it and thinking, oh, I don't know if they're really going to get anything, which is really bad. But <laughs> I remember thinking that. And then just lots of them did. And again, we only waited for like 30 seconds a minute. And then I said, if anyone's got anything, we're going to go over there and write it down, and anyone who hasn't really caught hold of anything yet can go over there and play. But lots of them went, and they had lots of things. It was really exciting because it was different as well. So there was one child who'd seen God um, like flash words on a wall, so like a word of um, who he wanted that child to be. Um, and then another child had had a picture, um, which was a very detailed picture, but they didn't know what it meant. So then encouraging them to go back and to, to pray about it more and try and get meaning from that. And then other children got more of a sense of um, what God would say, be saying to them or a sense of who God wanted them to be. And there was quite a sense of excitement in them as well that they'd actually caught hold of something from God. Um, so that's really, that was really exciting too, to kind of see that and just really encouraging and kind of really challenging that I think a lot of the time I try to protect my children from um, kind of disappointment and kind of in the book it talks about oh, quite often parents might be worried that their child isn't going to hear God and then they're not going to be interested at all and kind of yeah be really disencouraged and stuff but actually we believe in a God who is really interested in our children, who loves our children, who is speaking to our children all the time. Um, so why, why wouldn't we put them in a position to be able to hear, hear him? And, and, it, and it's also really releasing because it's then not, it's kind of takes away any pressure. I felt it took away a lot of pressure from me because you just explain to them and then you just let God do his thing. I want to thank God for loving our children. I want to thank God that he speaks to us, and I want to thank God for the Invaders group and the exciting things that he's doing with them, and with all our children, I'm sure, but that's the one I've got particular heart <laughs> for. So. Tanya, 
you here. I guess as a, as a follow-up story to how our young children are, are hearing from God at, at the moment, I thought it would be really encouraging to hear one more story um, that I haven't heard Tanya tell me directly, but I've heard it through the grapevine, and I thought it was really, really exciting. So, Tanya, come up and tell us. Tell us about your story. Quite short. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think back. Yeah, Carol, um, back in, I think it was August sometime, was told that she had to leave where she was living and we're really good friends with Carol and we spend a lot of time with her and my children love her to bits but when we got home we were kind of um I think when it was Peter's bedtime and he was asleep not when he's sorry when, when he was awake still <laughs> I'm a bit nervous um I just said to Peter should we pray about Carol's house and ask God for Carol to have a house and so yeah we prayed Peter prayed just really simple prayer and asked God to give Carol a house. And then he just said, oh, Carol's going to have a yellow house. So I kind of, the next day we went to see Carol and we told her. And she said, I'm going to hold on to that word. She just took it really, took it on board. And then it was about a month ago, I think, I was walking with Susie through the park. And, um, sorry, microphone. And, yeah, Carol phoned me and she said, I've just, she'd been offered a house. And she'd, she'd bidded and I think there was 700 people had bid for this house and she'd been offered it and it's only when she went to see it inside it was like really yellow so all well, the walls were yellow so and she really took that as a piece because really it was quite far away from where she was living from you know from this community because it's in Hainault but it just was like a real sense of yeah God's in this so she was really encouraged yeah I, th I thought that was such a sort of encouragement because I was hearing these stories and bits of feedback from invaders via Claire about, about our young children hearing God and that is amazing. You know, them hearing something ab about their own lives is not insignificant at all because that can shape, you know, their development over the next few years and, and potentially a, a lifetime and that, I understand for Carol, really gave her a real deep sense of peace and confidence in terms of her moving forward in her situation. And this is, you know, little Peter who can have that impact. And I just thought, we need to hear that because we want more of that, don't we? How exciting, how exciting. That's great. Um, are, are there any other parents here that have also had their children hear God kind of in the last recent times? Let's see if there's... Okay... Good, right. If you, could, if you haven't already, make sure you share those stories with your children's work leaders, but also your house group leaders, so we can make sure we're talking about these things, people are hearing these things. So I think as we share these stories, it does stir a level of faith amongst us. Lucy. Yeah. Lucy's going to share solo. Hello. Sorry, I haven't got any Japanese proverbs. Or any dramas. Oh, or a PowerPoint. <laughs> um, I just wanted to share with you a bit of a journey that God's been taking me on. I feel like I should... Is this thing going? <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Okay. For goodness sake. Um, <laughs> so, um, on my birthday back in June, um, somebody gave me a notebook for my birthday. And um, that was just like a little trigger for me, really, to, um, for what happened next. I've never really been one for diaries or journals, but um, I must admit, at the time that I got the notebook from the person, 
I was feeling a bit grim. And um, I felt like there was a bit of a, an apathy going on in me. Um, I was a bit bored, really. So uh, along comes this notebook, I think we're just at the right time, which I'll explain why. <laughs> um, the thing about when you're feeling a bit apathetic about life is that you can get caught in this kind of um, idea that it's going to take you just as long to crawl out of the apathy as it's got you, took you to get in there. Um, and that's, that's a bit of a problem. Um, you know, we think that there might be a long slog ahead to get back to God, really, to get back to a, like a vibrant relationship with God. Um, and that's really not true. You know, the, the prodigal son teaches us that so well. And the, the thing in James about draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And, and on her PJ say that thing about the Jubilee. It's like that didn't happen over 50 years that God gave everything back slowly. It's like in a day, you know, the Jubilee is that God gives back. And when you, things have gone wrong, but God gives back. And so um, my first entry into my notebook was really kind of a confession of telling God how it was and, and how I wanted it to be, really. Now, I just wanted to kind of touch on the idea of quiet times. Now, if you're anything like me, <laughs> even me saying quiet times might make you feel a bit sick. <laughs> or it might kind of um, make you feel slightly guilty. Some of you will have no idea what I mean by that, and that's great. Praise God. That's wonderful. Okay. But when I was a young Christian... Um, having your daily quiet time and, and praying and reading your Bible every day was what you did to make God like you, okay? And if you did that, God was happy and he liked you and it felt, you know, everything was all right, thankfully. Um, and, you know, people would say things like, how are your quiet times, wouldn't they? And um, it was a no-win situation because either you felt a bit smug, which isn't good, you know, um, because you'd done something that you know, you'd kind of made God like you a lot more because you'd had your quiet times. Um, or you'd kind of get into a bit of a grim condemnation and just, like, it would all settle on you quite heavily. Um, you know, maybe your Bible had been the fourth leg of your wardrobe for quite a long time. <laughs> I'm just speaking from experience. <laughs> maybe you hadn't actually had a moment to yourself personally on your own for, you know, the last six months, whatever, life was too busy. You know, this wasn't life-giving. This was, wasn't life-giving at all. It was very legalistic, you know, very condemning. Um, you know, God loves you. He loves me, and he will love us. If we never approach him again, he'll love us just as much. That's the reality. It's not that we can make God, oh, tick his little box. He's got all our names. Oh, yeah, quiet time, quiet time. I like them. Um, so, you know, we recognize the legalism involved in these kind of religious rituals. And I think we have rightly moved away from the kind of concept of quiet time um, as a kind of legalistic practice. You know, God doesn't need us to do something legalistically and, and as a ritual every day to make him like us. That's silly, isn't it? But I believe he does want us to take, he does want to take us on an adventure in our lives where we get to do stuff with him and where our friendship with him grows, and we start to kind of think what he's thinking and catch what he's saying and, um, you know, hear him saying the outrageous things that he wants to do in his world and being part of that, um, how he wants his world to be. We're like soldiers. He wants us to be like soldiers with a full set of armor and a huge belt of ammunition. Um, it feels to me, for me, it felt like I'd 
had this, you know, this slightly annoying baby of quiet times had been chucked out with the bathwater. You know that phrase? Throwing the baby out of the bathwater. And, and I just, God kind of stirred that back, back up in me, really. Um, so back to my notebook. So I kind of told God how dull things had become, how I wanted more, really. And I found him to be right there, you know, not surprisingly. I didn't have to crawl my way back, which is good, isn't it? Um, right there. Um, we don't, don't have to grovel or crawl, but he does have things to tell us and things for us to do and things that he wants, you know, for my heart to be filled with and changed in some aspects. Um, and I think we can only really get into the richness of that relationship with God when we submit ourselves to it, you know, and that becomes something very important to us. And Neil's talked to us, hasn't he, about means of grace. Remember that talk? And kind of the, way, the different ways there are of God of us kind of connecting with God, our spirit and God's spirit connecting. And it turned out, you know, and I think those means of grace are things that we can discover for ourselves. We shouldn't tell each other what those things are, but we discover them for ourselves. And those things can then like, like the firework or like the spark for us. And so for me, um, deciding to come clean with God was a really smart move. Um, I'd had a prophetic word previously about being more prophetic myself and hearing more from God for people. Um, and my, part of my frustration was that, you know, I hadn't really pursued that and was feeling a bit guilty about that. And, you know, that's not about what, who God is, about saying things to make us feel guilty. It's the opposite of that. Um, so, so I talked to God about it and told him about it, wrote it down. And um, he didn't tell me off or give me the, the mum look, you know, that kind of slightly disapproving look that Teresa and I, our children quite often talk about the mum look, don't they? Um, didn't give me the mum look. Um, I felt like he was jumping up and down and saying, great, okay, come on, let's get on with it. That's just like what PJ said about the Jubilee, isn't it? It's like not, you know, a kind of long, long process. It's actually about God saying, great, okay, come on, um, which is exciting. So it turned out for me that my best means of grace has turned out to be writing things down, which has been very helpful for me. I've, I've really enjoyed that. And I started to write down my prayers. And when I felt God speaking to me about the person I was praying for, I'd write that down. Any scriptures I felt that he was giving me. And actually, I felt the seriousness hit me that, you know, we can actually starve each other. You know, if, if we're not taking that time to hear God for each other... Yes, God can use other means, but one means that he uses is each other, you know. So we can feed each other or starve each other, which is quite a, a challenging thought. And I think I spoke before about a challenging time I had about 10 years ago where I, had, I was quite depressed. And um, um, one thing that happened in that time was that both Ruth Coles and Beck Coles had a, the same word for me. And it was um, a statue with... Um, a dust sheet on it. And some of the things God said about taking off the dust sheet really like set me free and was kind of my key to recovery, really. And, you know, they could have... You know, I'm not saying God wouldn't have... I wouldn't have recovered without that. I'm sure I would, because God's gracious. But they got to share in that joy with me, which was really brilliant. 
Um, I just want to wonder, I wondered um, how many Bibles in a year do you think there are out there on shelves, you know, thick with the dust of condemnation. <laughs> and I just wanted to think about that for a minute. Sorry, Nathan, I really need to drink something. My mouth's really dry. Thank you. <laughs> Excuse me. Don't worry, I sound much more nervous than I actually am. Um, okay. I think that I quite often thought, especially young, as a younger Christian, that, you know, again, you read the Bible to make God happy with you because it's part of what Christians do, part of the quiet time. Um, you know, that, that means you're a good Christian. Well, forget that. You know, God does like us. He loves us. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It's nothing to do with that. But what if the Bible is a, tre- a chest of treasure, a chest of energy bars, a chest of high-tech gadgets, hand grenades and ammunition? Because I think that's what it is. It's alive and it's, it's living. It's a living thing. It's weapons in our hands um, in the war against the enemy. The enemy's bent on killing and destroying and lying. And yet God's given us thousands and thousands of promises about who he is and what he does. And, you know, I've thought about this quite a lot, and I've realized how badly I personally have equipped myself over the years. You know, it talks, the Bible talks about our hearts being a storehouse of things that we can draw on. But again, you know, it's not about being condemned. I'm not even halfway to 106 yet, so I'm okay. You know, I've got a long time left. Um, we, don't really ha- we haven't really tended to go for the kind of memory verses model of learning the Bible. Because I think, again, rightly, that can get us into a level of kind of legalism and kind of ritual learning. But I don't want us to go the other way then and not store treasure up inside us. Um, So, you know, it's not something to get into guilt about, but it is a provocation to us, I think. And it's remembering the Holy Spirit is there to help us and to remind us of things. Well, it has been for me, and, and that's true for all of us. So what I've been doing is when I read something that jumps out at me, I try and catch it like what the kids are trying to do, and I write it down in my notebook. And then I use it to pray like a weapon. So if I'm praying for somebody and God gives me a verse, I write it down, and it's often like a promise about what God wants to do in their lives. I use that like a weapon. Um, Sometimes I could just get a snippet of a verse, a couple of words, and that's very frustrating if all you've got is a concordance and you haven't got the key word, which, and you get really frustrated. But I've found that what Tom says is true. Google it, okay? Everything in life, if you don't know the answer, you can Google it. So if you've got any Google on your phone or your computer, you can just put in two or three words. This comes up with your verse, and you can go and look it up. So that's been very helpful. Sometimes I might be driving along praying for somebody and I've just got a couple of words, pull over, Google it, get the verse, use it as a weapon, use it as a you know, thing to pray with. Um, and then just wanted to say briefly about the whole thing of prayer. <clears throat> and I guess it fits in quite well with the other things today. But I found that you know sometimes we can have things troubling us or things we're upset or worried about or people that we're concerned about and we forget that, the, you know, before friends and family or even our partner, Jesus is the one we can go to. 
you know, pour it all out. You know, it can be as messy as you want. Get it all out. Um, you know, sometimes when we have problems, we add to our problems by having a kind of low-level guilt about not praying about our problems. That becomes another problem. You know, not only have we got these things we're worried about, we're also worried because we're not praying about them. You know, it seems a bit like, what word did you say? Dopey. <laughs> I think you said dopey. Um, you, you can get really stuck then. And if you're anything like me, sometimes I've gone, have had periods of, of my life where prayer is something you do at prayer meetings, and the rest of the time you just worry. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, I'd say that pouring it out to Jesus, which is what he says to do, is a real privilege. And that's why it says, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who's in heaven. Not, it doesn't say, have a quiet time and I'll tick your name off, and you're okay till tomorrow. He wants us to do that because he knows how us humans work and how our hearts work. Um, hold on a sec. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's knowing what he's saying, catching hold of his word, feeling at peace, feeling energized, feeling refreshed, all part of coming to God in prayer. Um, it's a real provocation to me that there's a friend here amongst us and she can't actually just pray whenever she wants or read her Bible or go to her room and close the door and spend half an hour because of family circumstances. But, you know, she will sit and watch the telly, but the door in her mind is open. You know, she's gone into the door in her mind and she's closed it. Or she might go into the toilet and read her Bible for five minutes you know, that's a provocation for me because she hasn't got the luxury of going to her room whenever she wants. And I know many of us haven't, you know, life's very busy, but I really believe if, if we want to, God gives us the opportunity. Um, so just a couple of examples of how that's worked out for me. Um, a couple of Saturdays ago, I just had been praying and felt like I should walk down Green Lane and just have a little bit of... I hate to use the word fresh, a bit of air, <laughs> a little bit of air. <laughs> um, you know, nothing, nothing kind of big lights, but bumped into somebody who's been on my mind, somebody from the community here amongst us, you know, sat and had a coffee for an hour, ended up talking and praying for each other. And I felt like, you know, she'd been on my mind. God sent me out to Green Lane. He, he used that to, for us to bless each other. Um, it's helped me having specific words for my own kids, praying for them, I believe, more effectively. Um, God spoke to me very specifically about a certain open doors lady that I should um, get to know. And that's been really positive, and um, God's been giving me kind of verses to use in, in battling for her. Very unjust situations like what Simon was talking about, real injustices in her life, and, you know, using verses that God promises what he does with the poor, you know, with widows and orphans, and, you know, things that you can get hold of as a weapon and fire it out there. Um, you know, some prayers of real outrage, like shouting at the top of my voice in the car prayers. Don't worry, not in the light, we're down Green Lane. <laughs> Don't worry. Um, but, like, out one night driving, going to do something, and just really rising up that, you know, that outrage and that praying that out, you know, so far from a quiet time, <laughs> I can tell you. Um, 
And just really hearing God specifically for friends who are going through particular battles in their lives and not kind of starving them of God's word, I suppose. And with my friends that don't know Jesus, just being much more natural about talking about him. I think when we're having a really engaged relationship with God, it sounds normal to talk about Jesus and who he is. Whereas I think before I can sound very stilted, as I tried to kind of, how can I bring Jesus into the conversation? Or it's more usually, how can I bring church? Because sometimes you substitute church for Jesus when there's not a reality of a relationship with Jesus going on. So what am I hoping it will mean from now on? I'm hoping that um, I want to hear God more clearly, um, maybe, you know, with things that will unlock things in other people's lives, like Ruth and Beck's word unlocked in my life. Um, maybe that will bring somebody, you know, into a freedom <clears throat> or healing. I want to have a bigger storehouse of treasure inside me. I'm not quite sure how to go about that, but I think it's to do with being diligent in, you know, when God provokes you to look something up and you write it down, just going over it a few times in your head, maybe writing it, putting it on a mirror or something. So that's my journey I've been on. It would be helpful to share it. Good. Thank you very much, Lucy. That's our pick and mix. Um, I hope you found some things that you like the taste of within that. Um, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I'm going to ask the stewards... Um, to give us the opportunity to give our offering um, at the same time. And I just want us to, to move into worship and just use the, the first kind of parts as a reflection, um, I suppose as our own response to Jesus. We will have the, the, the prayer opportunity as usual, but let's just use the worship just as we start off, just to move into that place. And there'll be different things that different people have said that have um, rung true for you. Just respond to God in this time. Um, as we worship, just ask God to make that real, to bring that revelation to you. <clears throat>